0: Um, So every now and then, um, words, one word can change everything, right? Um, One word becomes very, very important. Um, How many of you have proposed to a a girl and asked her to marry you? Raise your hand. Okay. Now, my guess is that when you did that, when you said, now you might have, like I wrote a song and we went to the beach and I had like sparkling grape juice because we're Christians, you know, and all that stuff, right? Maybe you didn't do that. Maybe you went to like roller derby or something. But at some point you set it up and you got down on the knee or you stood in front of her. You did, And at some point you said, will you marry me? You might have hired somebody to fly a plane above you that had the banner that said, will you marry me? And like lots of women are like, finally. And they're disappointed because it wasn't for them, right? However you did it, at some point you said to her, will you marry me? And then you took a deep breath. Because that next word was going to change your life. Now, I've experienced that. Thankfully, she said yes. I'm a better man for it. Um, I have not experienced this, but it's another situation. You're feeling sick. Your body's not functioning quite right. And you go in, t- you get some tests done. And you sit down in front of a doctor. And he or she looks across the desk at you and says this, I have the results. And you have, there's a long Pause. Next word that comes out of the doctor's mouth gonna change your life. Now I know people who heard the word cancer, and they'll say the whole room just goes like dark, white, all kind of you. Everything's fuzzy and you can't even focus. That one word. Now here, and we're in Ephesians chapter two. There's one word in Ephesians chapter two, verse eleven. The first word of that verse, it changes everything. It's a weird word, it's in the Bible a lot, but here it's really, really important. It's really weighty. It's the word therefore. And it's Paul's way of saying this. Um, we've been in this this is like the fifth week of the one series. So we've been studying up through all these passages in Ephesians. Here's what Paul's saying. He's writing this letter, and he's telling them, we've talked about all the stuff that, that Jesus has done for them um they were they've been chosen um phil talked about they were selected by god they were set free by the son they were sealed by the holy spirit they were chosen they were blessed he said you've got every blessing you could ever need every spiritual blessing is in christ and then last week we talked about this look you were once dead now you're fully alive you can be thankful you can be prayerful you're all these things and you can kind of sense the ephesians going yeah i like this this is really good stuff and then paul just says with one word therefore and it's his way of saying, hold on a second, this is not just theory, this is like, what do we do with it? Let's talk about what we do with it. If all of this is true, therefore, because of all that, what do we do now? And so the next 12 verses, we're going to talk about that. Something that God desires for them, and something that God did for them. Let's just start with number one, what does God desire? What God desires for us, this is a really simple answer. What God desires is he desires for us to have a relationship with him and have a relationship with one another. Now, we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 2, verses um, 11 through 22, but let me just kind of paint a picture first. Let's go way, 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 way back to a time when none of us were living, I don't think, creation. Nobody was alive at creation, right? Some of you are like, I feel like I was alive at creation. I creak like I was alive at creation. But let's go all the way back to creation. Here's what we find. Six days of creation. For five days, God creates everything. And at the end of the day, just like you do, you do your work, you sit back, you turn on the TV, and you kind of go, oh, that's a good day. God would create. He would sit back and look at what he created and say, that was good. But after the sixth day, after he created man, he looked back and he said, everything was very good. I'm not making that up. That's in Genesis chapter 1, verse 31. God creates everything and says it's good, but after he creates man, something about man made God say, Now that's very good. I tell you, look at the people next to you all the time. Take a peek at the person next to you. Go ahead, look at them. God thinks that they are very good. You're like, What? God is smoking something. God created man. And if that's shocking, if you could look in a mirror at yourself, he thinks you're very good. There was something about God that he desired a relationship with us that when he formed man, he sat back and said, now we're done. This is very good. So we know that God desires a relationship with us. He wants us to have one with him, but he also desires that we have a relationship with one another. So he creates Adam. Adam's hanging out in the garden. He's naming all these animals. I mean, tons and tons of animals. Adam is not alone. He is like the crazy hoarder, has got lots of cats, right? He's got animals everywhere. There are trees, vegetation everywhere, waterfalls, stuff's flowing, things are happening. And yet, God says it's not good for a man to be alone. And so, He takes a rib, He makes Eve, He gives him a woman. Now, I know that's probably a lot to do with marriage, right? So let's just address this first, all the single folk in the room. Are you out of God's will if you're single? No. Adam got a woman, but let's focus on the first part of that statement that God made. It's not good for man to be alone, period. And here's what I want you to understand. Do you know needy people? Yeah. You're like, don't make me look at the person next to me because that's the needy person. I know that we can go too far being needy, but sometimes we think that people are needy because they're sinful. We were needy before sin. Before sin ever entered the world, God said this, man makes my creation very good. I need to have a relationship with man. And man does not need to be alone. That was before sin. You don't need the person next to you because you're a sinful person. You need the person next to you because God created you to need the person next to you. That's the way God set it up. That's in Genesis chapter 2, verse 18. So that's what we know, okay? All that, all that happens before sin, it's not because we're cursed that we need people. God desires it from the beginning. And so Paul's going to share here with the Ephesians. He kind of hits the pause button. He says, therefore, one word changes everything. Stop everything. And let's figure out the reason that God has done all these things for us. Why has he set us free? Why has he saved us? Why has he given us every spiritual gift that we could ever need in Christ? Why in the world would God do that? Because God desires three things. These next 12 verses are going to tell us what they are. Ironically, one reason why I love this passage so much is because what you'll see is this passage grabbed my heart about five years ago. I couldn't get rid of it. It was just like, you ever just met somebody, they just got your attention, you couldn't stop thinking about them? That was like this passage for me. It revolutionized the way that I saw how we do church, how we do things as Christians the relationship that God really wants us to have. How maybe it's not so much about doing the right thing, but being with the right person. That what you'll find is this passage is where all of this came from. The name of the church, the mission of the church. I'm going to start using, I'm going to start using terms. You'll be like, I've heard that a billion times. But this is where it all came from. This changed everything about me and I want to change everything about you. So we're going to divide this chapter, this section, into three sections, okay? You've got them on your note sheets. The first thing that God wants for us, the first thing that God wants for us is to be near God. You've heard that before. Heard these six words a million times. He wants us to be near him. Ever since Adam sinned, there's been a division. The biggest division was between us and God. It says in verse 12, It says, remember that at that time, here's how he describes us: You were separate from Christ, excluded from citizenship, and foreigners to the covenant. You're separate. You're excluded. You're foreigners. These do not feel like good words. But what have we learned at this point? Remember that one week we talked about God's choosing us? And we talked about being in gym class and how I never really got chosen in gym class. I kind of just like... by default got on a team because I was the last person? uh, Give me Paul, right? Maybe you can relate to that, maybe you can't. Listen, here's what it means. There was a gap between us and God. We were separate, we were excluded, we were foreigners, but God didn't get stuck with you. John 3.16 says this, For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. We've memorized that scripture since we were kids. What does it really mean, though? It means this, that God didn't get stuck with you. That God and Satan didn't have this game where they're picking teams and and you just got God. He was like, "God, oh, whatever, give me Paul." He wanted me. He wanted you. He desires that we would be near him. He proved it because he sent Jesus. He did it because he was motivated by love. Verse 13 here says that he did it because he wanted to bring those who were far away near. We want to be near God. So God is always doing this. little logo explanation. You look at our, our name, the gathering. You look at the dots underneath it. Everybody goes, What's the, what are those dots for? I what that's what that's all about. All that dot is, it's just a little arrow showing people moving from far away, near to God. Because God doesn't gather us so that we can just have a service. He gathers us because he wants us to be near him. And if you've ever, if you, you, you if you sin in your life, if you struggle in your life, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, what does it mean to trust Jesus? It means simply this. I don't want to live far away from God anymore. And I can't do enough good things to be near God. He's too holy. He's too powerful. He's too good. My only shot to be near God is to admit I can't get near God. Help. There's a gap, and I don't know how to get there. And John 3.16 says he sent Jesus Christ, his son, to die for us because he loved us. He wanted us to have a relationship with him. He bridged the gap and through the cross we can be with Jesus and God. That's what it means to follow Jesus. God wants us to be near him. He wants more than that. He also wants us to be near man. Verse 14 mentions the wall of Hostility. For he himself is our peace, who has made the next, who has made the two one, who has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Now, in context, okay, Paul's writing about two groups of people. You had your Gentiles, and you had your Jews. So, you had your, I'm not going to use state because they stink, you had your Tar Heels, and you had your Blue Devils, right? You had these two, and they did not get along, right? Amen? And so in order to not kill each other, they they built walls, literal walls. There was a literal wall that divided Gentiles and Jews. If you went, if we were having church like they did back in the day, we got four sections right here. You would walk in around the orange wall, the beautiful, fantastic orange wall, and then you would see a wall right here, probably from the floor to the ceiling, and there'd be a door, and it'd be on top of it would say tar heels. And all the tar heel fans would have to come in here. And all the Blue Devil fans would be over here. And probably because the Tar Heels are lower class citizens, because that's what the Gentiles were. We wouldn't have any heating and air in this section. But this section, we got it going on, right? All you Tar Heels are like, I'm in the Blue Devil section. I feel dirty. That's how Jews and Gentiles were. The Jews had it all. The Gentiles could barely get in anything. There was a literal wall. That divided them in worship. And Jesus came and took that away. He took away the wall of hostility. Jesus blew it up because he wanted us to be near one another. If we were doing church like that and Jesus showed up, wouldn't that be awesome? Jesus would show up and he would like look at that and go, "Um, Paul, can I speak to you privately? I'm like, yes. Dude, you're a fool. What, what is that wall? Well, I mean, they're not like us. Okay. It's gone. That's what Jesus did. He literally took away the wall of hostility so that we could be one. It matters that much to God. Not just that we're near God, but that we're near one another. Listen, um, we'll look at this later in Ephesians because this is a point of contention for some people in the south. That you don't have to be a member of a church. And I will admittedly tell you that that was me for a while. I really struggled with that. You know why? I've been in crappy churches. I mean, none necessarily. I've I've visited them. I've spoken at them. I've seen them. People can treat each other horribly. And you're like, you know, God wants you to be a part of that. And we're like, no, thank you. Right? Because all of us, we could all tell stories of being burned by church. But there's no other place to love one another than here. I can say all day long that I love my neighbor, right? And it'll even look like I love my neighbor, especially if we live in Montana and my neighbor is 20 miles away. It's a half day's trip just to take them bread. Well, I love my neighbor. sure you love your neighbor. You never see your neighbor, but let that neighbor move right next door to you and get a dog that likes to use your yard. Different story. So you don't really know that you love one another until you're around one another. You see how that works? God's heart is not that we would just be near him, but that we would then be near one another. And here's why. Here's just two verses just for you to keep in the back of your mind. John thirteen thirty five says, because how we love one another actually reveals to the world that we're his disciples. So the world, believe it or not, thinks that the church is irrelevant. And the reason that they think the church is irrelevant is because they hang out with church people. And they look at church people, they hear how church people talk about other church people. And the world says, well, I can do that and keep 10% of my money. Why would I want to do that? I already hate the people. I just don't pretend like I don't. They look at how we treat one another and say, there's no way Jesus is real. There's no way they're following Jesus, because how we love one another is what shows that we're following Jesus. That's a really hard thing to wrap your brain around. Puts a lot of emphasis on how we interact. Matthew 5, 46 actually takes it one step further. Jesus said, if you love those who love you, how are you any better than the world? So this past week, I wrote a blog about homosexuality. So far, 1,500 people have read it. Crazy. And basically, what it said is this. The world loves homosexuality because they have an agenda, but God loves homosexuals because he loves people. And not only does God love them, but the church should love homosexuals because the church should be loving people. And do you know what happens when the church loves people who not only are different than them, but actually disagree with them? The world starts going, how do you like that person? It's Jesus. It's Jesus. If we only love white middle class because they're like me and I'm white middle class, then Matthew 5.46, Jesus says, you're no different than the Pharisees who only love Pharisees. It's the people that you love that are different from you. That's what shows the world there's a difference. So all I'm saying is I'm not trying to be hard on you. I'm just saying God wants us to be near him. Yeah, he, he, he came and he preached to those who were far away so he could bring them near to him through Christ. But he doesn't just want that. He doesn't want us to be at home right now on our couch drinking coffee saying, I'm so close to Jesus. He actually wants us to be near one another and not just near one another in church. But he wants us to be near people outside that aren't like like us. Jesus is always trying to bring people together. It's what God desires for us. And the last thing he desires is this. He desires that these relationships would would result in us making disciples. Verses 19 through 22. Paul says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, that's a good thing, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Sounds like church, right? Yes, it's not a trick question. It sounds like church. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Lots of big concepts there. Lots of big words. Let's just break it down like this. God's desire is that what he's doing in us would continue beyond us. I I wrote this down. We are part of a building that we have a part in building. He saves. He draws you. He draws Tyler near to him. And then he brings Tyler and me close together. And that means that we're now part of a foundation. We just read about there's a foundation that started way back with the apostles. And now we are a brick in a building. We're a part of a building that we now have a responsibility to keep building. We go out and tell somebody else. I tell Wendy because, you know, why wouldn't I? You need to know Jesus. And she's like, I need to know Jesus. And she gets saved and she's following Jesus. Now she's a brick. And she gets a break. But here's the thing, and I want to make sure you get this. If God's desire was just for each of us here to be near Him and near each other, then God has a one generation dream. And He does not, my God, does not dream for one generation. My God dreams for every generation past this one. He's into legacies, He's into building a building on the foundation. And I'm so thankful. For the foundation of people who have gone before me. And they've laid down the bottom layer. And then we get to be here. We lead people here. And then here. And up. And we are part of a building that is going to be built until Revelation 5.9. Until it is complete with a people from every tribe, every nation, every tongue. This is not just about us. It's always about making disciples. Why do we use the phrase disciplers? Because it's not even a word. Like if you type it, every time I type it, I get the little red squigglies, right? And words like, dude, you're an idiot. It's disciple. It's disciple. And I'm like, no, you're a computer. It's disciplers. Because we want to develop people who not only are disciples, but will then disciple other people. We have intentionally created a word to drive it into all of our brains that it is not enough for us to follow Jesus. We have got to be equipping other people to help other people help other people follow Jesus. We are called to make disciples. So we know what God wants for us. He wants us to be in relationship with him. He wants us to be in relationship with others. And that's fantastic. We also know this. There are barriers to that desire. I thought about um sometimes we want things but we can't get them like one thing that i really want i really do want a super bowl ring i really do i mean i'd like to have it as a player right i've seen them like i saw a guy who had one i think i could fit three of my fingers into it they're huge but i want one and you laugh because you know that i don't care how much i want it am i going to get a super bowl ring as a player not going to happen Unless one of my kids plays and I steal it from them. And then I didn't get it as a player. They got it. I'm never going to get it. Sometimes we have desires for things, but we have no ability to make that happen. The good news about God is this. He desires something, and he can actually make that happen. So not only does God desire that we have it, but he has the ability to do whatever it takes to make it possible. So we know what what God desires. Let's talk about what God did. Ephesians 2.14. This is what God did. He's like, I want you to be near me. I want you to be near each other. I want you to make disciples and build a holy temple. And here's what I've done to make sure that can happen. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 14. For he himself is our peace, who has made the two one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. Jesus Christ, long before Miley Cyrus, was the original wrecking ball. Now, that's creating all kinds of really weird images in my head right now. But it's the truth. It's the truth. She can sing a song and make a really, really, really random video that even though right now you want to look it up, don't if you're not seeing it, about trying to break down walls. But my Savior was the original wrecking ball. He swung in from heaven and took out what holds us from being close to each other. Jesus did that. My God did that. He sent his son to destroy the things that keep us apart. Um, I wasn't sure if I wanted to go this in depth with Greek stuff, but let's let's do it. It'll be fun. Um, if you have you know somebody that has sensitive ears, just cover them. All the men are like, right? Um, I don't really know how far I want to go with this, but let's just pick the word abolish. So I love this in verse 15. It says, by abolishing in his flesh the law with its commandments and regulations. So let's explain what commandments and regulations mean in the law. Before Jesus came, men and women, if they wanted to be near God, they had to do things. They had to act a certain way. They had to probably bring animals and slaughter them and let the blood be put on them and their family and all that messy stuff. They had, I can't remember, it's like in the hundreds, maybe it's like 600 something laws that they had to obey. And if, if they broke a law, they had to like slaughter the animal, the whole deal. So just take that into today, right? The speed limit is 55. It's, a, it's not a suggestion, although in my head it is, but... It's 55, and so if I'm going down to Columbia, then it goes up to 65, and I think maybe even 70, which means for me, 79, right? Hallelujah, Jesus, right? So I'm breaking the law in in this context. If I'm breaking the law, every time my pedal goes a little further down and I go another speed mile per hour over the speed limit, if we're living according to the law, Wendy's in the back with a knife and she's slaughtering a goat or something and she's she's, she's throwing blood all over the car. Oh God, oh God, oh God, oh God, protect us, save us, protect us, my husband is an idiot. Here's a pigeon, a pigeon for you, you know, and here's a goat, and there's all, here's a sheep, and all this stuff. And like, we get to Columbia, and we're safe, and I broke the law, but she's like, we're covered in blood. That's what they had to do. Thank you, Jesus, we don't have to do that anymore. Now listen, here's how far God went. To destroy the barrier. Okay. I'm going to paint the mental picture from the Greek word. The Greek word that's used for abolish has two meanings. One, it means to render useless, which is usually the one that's preached. God took the law in Jesus and said, you know what? It's powerless. You don't have to worry about the law anymore. But this is the one that got my attention, covered the sensitive ears. Here's what it says. Here's what it means. It literally means this. To terminate all intercourse with. Like Jesus came and wrecked a wall. He wrecked an entire system of religion that required you and I to act a certain way in order to be in. He totally destroyed it. He said, it's useless, it's powerless, quit messing with it. I mean, no more intercourse, people. And we mess with it. We expect people to act a certain way. If you don't look a certain way, you can't be a part of our club. So now you're having sex with the wall again? Do you see this? This is good news. I mean, I know it's quiet because I said sex and intercourse in the same breath. But this is good news. All the stuff that we still feel like we want to make people do, that we still feel like we have to do. Like, I'm not close to Jesus. Why? Because I didn't read my Bible today. But he's abolished that wall. You don't have to do anything to get near Jesus. He's abolished it. Like, don't mess with it. We still hold ourselves to these standards that he has gotten rid of. That's how much he means business, about us being near him and near one another and making disciples. Those barriers are gone. Here's the second thing I really want you to get. I don't know how you write this on your note sheet. Just download it later and print it out and make wallpaper for your room. It says that Jesus, in verse 14, has made the two one. He has destroyed the barrier. He did abolish He's already done it. And I was talking to God when I read that. Like, wait, if you've already abolished the the walls, like the things that keep us divided, if you've already blown those up, why are they still there? And he said, because you build them back. Crap. I'm a part of pastors that get together and pray. And here's what we'll pray. And we, and we pray this with a good heart, so you know your your motive is a good thing. But you'll hear people pray this: "Oh God, please just tear down the walls between denominations." And now I'm, I'm realizing now that God's up in heaven going, "I already did that. Why'd you build it back? Why don't you tear it down?" I, I know we'll get together. We're, like I was talking to Michael, we'll have a problem with people. We'll know that there's a barrier between us and somebody else. And here's what we'll do, because we're spiritual. We'll spend decades praying in our house for God to remove that wall and never once call them. And the whole time, we're like, why won't that wall go away? And God's like, because I sent Jesus. I already wrecked it. Why'd you build it back? He puts it all back on us, doesn't he? We have rebuilt walls that God took out. So, I would also like for there to be no walls between the races. My dream's not as popular or famous, but I also have a dream that we would actually get along. It does me no good to go home and pray about that because Jesus already divided the wall. He already blew up the wall that divides me and Eugene, right? He already took care of that. Because now we're just both red, covered in blood. So if there's a wall between me, if there's a wall between races, then the race is built that there. We take care of it. We take care of that. We take care of that by recognizing the walls and starting to tear them down. So we got to know what the walls look like. And here we go. W-A-L-L-S. I gave it to you really easy so you won't forget it. Here's five things that walls do. If you recognize these in your life, it means that there's a wall there. Okay, make sense? What walls do? It's like we should have a drum roll. Here we go. Number one, they work for us. Now, this is the only one that's positive. Okay, because I want to, to be realistic. Um, we talk about extroverts and introverts. Um, extroverts, raise your hand. You're the life of the party people. Okay, introverts, just sit still. <laughs> introverts, like, I ain't raising my hand. I don't care what you say. Um, so if you're an introvert, then you're like me, which means that there are times that you really enjoy solitude, right? You like to just turn off all the white noise to kind of go in the woods or go for a run or just kind of unplug. You like that. Extroverts are like you're crazy. Like give them, I want to, I run with five iPods, right? So you, sometimes if we put walls up, if you read the gospels, you'll see that there were times that Jesus withdrew to lonely places. So I'm not ever saying that you can't have time alone. And that's the one thing that walls do that can be positive. They work for us. But here's what I want you to understand. You control it. You like we read the first, this first verse, it says that um, there were uncircumcised and circumcised. Well, somebody was circumcised, which we don't have to, well, we already talked about sex and intercourse, you might as well, but um, circumcised. They said, I'm circumcised and you're not, I don't really want to be around you. And so they put a wall up because that wall works for them. It keeps people out that they don't want to come in. It's the reason that you lock your door at night. You do lock your door at night, right? Because you want to keep people out. So walls work for us, and that's not always a bad thing. It's bad when it takes the next step, and the next step is alienate us. I've pastored long enough to have enough conversations with people that go like this. I'm so lonely. Well, do you have any friends? No. They're not good enough. Like, anybody watch Seinfeld? You know why Seinfeld never got married? He found, he found something wrong with every girl he dated. There was the man hands girl with that. I mean, obviously, if you got a girl with man hands, you got to just cut it off right away. Yeah. He always found something wrong, and so here's what happens: we we build a wall up to keep out people that maybe we need some space from, and that's okay temporarily. But eventually, it not only st- it stays there, and then we're on this side of the wall, and we realize that we've kind of walled everybody out, and we go, I'm lonely. I don't even have internet connection. Like Match.com won't even help me. I got nothing. And we become alienated, and we don't like that. The reason you don't like that is because you weren't made to be alone. You were never created to be alone. You weren't created to be isolated. So they they alienate us. Um, Ephesians 2, two twelve. We already talked about. It. They were they are separated. They're excluded. They're foreigners. First, they kept out the people. And then they start to feel like everybody's separated. Number Here's the L, the first L. They lead us to frustration. And here's why. Because when you see a wall and you really want to get over it, you have to try to get over it. You have to try to get under it. You have to try to get around it. And it just frustrates you to no end. Walls frustrate us. And then they leave us hopeless. If you try something long enough with no visible success, you lose hope. It's um, You ever heard of the, like, a culture of failing, a culture of losing, it's the Bobcats come to mind. I mean, they, they could have a 20-point lead with three minutes to go, and you're still feeling like they will find a way to throw this game away because there's this cycle, right? And so when we have walls in our lives, when we put them up and we don't, and they're alienating us and then they, they, they frustrate us, we want to get rid of them, but we can't figure out how to get around them, and, and we just keep trying no success it's still there we just lose hope we've given up hope we find that the last thing that walls do the last thing that walls do is they stop us we have a visual illustration of walls stopping us and so that's that's us that's some of our lives we're just we're just stopped We've gone as far as we can go. We're not getting through that wall. That's why Jesus was called as the wrecking ball. Because you and I weren't meant to be alone. The only way to accomplish that is to get rid of the walls between us. We're going to wrap this up like this. Um, I want to show you one more video in in just a minute. We'll, We'll call this Exhibit A. For how none of us really ever flourishes when we're separated from the ones that we love. I saw this this week on um, online. Maybe some of you have seen it as well. It's a little bit long. Um, it's a lot. It's a lot long, but it's kind of how we're going to wrap up. But I think you'll like it. Let's watch it, and then I'll come back up and close it. That's what we all want, right? We just want to be home. We just want to be with family. We want to not be alone. Here's your big idea today. We can't be walled in if we're going to be all in. We can't be walled in if we're going to be all in. I want to make sure that you absolutely hear what I'm saying today. This is not like one of those pastors gets up and just rants about how bad people are. This is just reality. We were made for God and for one another. And that video, you know what that shows me? Like the military, the Gamecocks, elementary school students, um, the Dallas Cowboys. pains me to say that one. They all get it. They all forked out money to fly people home for that moment. They get it. And they don't even know Jesus. How much more in the church should we get that truth? And Jesus destroyed the walls because he knows that we were created to be with God and with one another. If we're going to be all in, We cannot be walled in.